0: Welcome into the Sunday Side Session. I'm Mike Schaefer and this week's special guest is going to be John Bishop from 1620.
1: You know him from Unsportsmanlike Conduct. John, how's it going? Really good. Not as good as you with the Guardians getting the big win on Saturday, yeah. <laughs> but uh but yeah, not bad. Not bad. It's it it was kind of fun to have a Friday night game and then have all of Saturday to do anything else you wanted to do, and yet you had a win in the book. So I, you know you felt like it was a double, a double winning weekend. I don't know if this is considered a
0: hot take or just a take. I like when Nebraska plays the Thursday night game or a random Friday. I wouldn't want to do it all the time, and I always appreciate the fact that it's an away game when this happens. Um, but I, I enjoy like the Thursday or the Friday games when they've had them. Oh, other than I, the I, one time I had to go to Champagne and we made that drive the same day the game happened.
1: That wasn't great. Everything no, else pretty solid. Yeah, it is. And, but that's the thing is I, it, you're, you're probably not going to see many home games if any home games on a Thursday or a Friday night, because the logistics of having to basically shoo uh, students out of the parking lots and, you know all the things that have to go into a game day experience I, but you're right i mean if they're a road trip it's it's fantastic and you know it it's even though it's a short week you know it, it seems like nebraska was fairly decently prepared for as poor as they played from for the most part um I, I didn't think i didn't think the day or the time of the game had anything to do with what took place and and then, of course, the results speak for themselves. I mean, to be able to come back like that was uh, was was impressive.
0: Yeah, so Nebraska goes out to Piscataway, wins 14-13 over Rutgers, second half shutout combined with 14 unanswered points to finish out the game. A lot of different ways that we can discuss this one, and we'll try to get to as much as we can here in the next 20 to 30 minutes. But, But, John, I, I'm curious, when you think about how that game started, did you sort of have like this this feeling like, oh, it's going to be one of those nights? Like the way that thing starts, Noah Vedro of a 21-yard touchdown, uh, the 30-some-yard pass over Malcolm Hartzog, a true freshman playing corner. Like Rutgers is a bad offense. And you're thinking to yourself, they just scored on what felt like a way too easy drive to open the game. Nebraska basically goes three and out right after that or does very little. And in my head, I'm just thinking these guys are not showing up tonight and this is going to be a long Friday. And they, they turned it around to their credit, but it is hard to to even for me to put into words, just like how lethargic it looked in the first 10 minutes of game time.
1: I, you know, I didn't get that feeling right off the bat. I I started to wonder after the block punt. Yeah. And, 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 but then that feeling quickly kind of shifted as soon as Nebraska, you know, basically forced him to go backwards and forced a field goal. And I thought, all right, well, they're going to still be fine. And I guess the only reason I didn't I didn't overreact or I didn't feel like um, there was something going terribly wrong after the first drive is, and it's strange to say this, but you and I, of course, we, we have our, our pro football teams and we watch them a lot. And, and there'll be times where you see it a lot in the NFL where, you know, uh, an offense gets down the field on a really good defense. And and it's like whoa wait that was way too easy. But then you see the adjustments that happen after that, and I realized that there's not a lot of data to you know to back up that Nebraska's defense has the ability to make you know pro level adjustments. But I just didn't. I, I came into this expecting a low scoring slugfest, um, and and so I thought okay fine they're going to get this this one drive. Because sometimes you can you you just catch a team on its heels, you know they're coming out, they got the energy in the stadium, all of these different things, you know they hit the they hit the big pass, but at, at no point did I ever think, man, this is a really good offense. Oh no! Uh, and, and 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 Nebraska was was still it, it was funny to me because it seemed like it took forever for them to get to Vedral or you know whoever the other you know Brown or whoever the other quarterbacks were that they were playing uh on Friday night, but it just seemed like, okay, they're 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 building some steam here. You know, they're doing some of the right things. You know, the big pass plays, you know, it might have been a busted coverage, or it might have been, you know, just throw up a lollipop and see what happens. And so I never really got the sense that Nebraska defensively wasn't going to be able to hold things down. and and I know a lot of folks, you know, and, and and I'm not trying to diminish the level of the comeback because I think most of us can admit if this were under the previous coach, this, right. win, this win would not have happened. But there was just a there was just a sense I had about this game that if Nebraska just doesn't make stupid mistakes, turnovers in the red zone, you know, that backbreaking penalty that they were going to be fine. They were going to find a way to, to get back into this. And then the, then all the onus would be back on Rutgers. So yeah, I didn't really have a, I didn't have a feeling of doom after that first drive. But a lot of that was, I just didn't trust Rutgers to be able to maintain that kind of momentum for, for four quarters. And as it turns out, they, they they weren't really after that first drive, they didn't do much at all. The rest of the game, they hit a couple more big passes and that was about it.
0: Yeah. They, uh, I think, when I added it up after the game, they had 52 yards on their first 11 carries on the ground and then finished with 63 yards on the next 27 through the rest of the game. So um, they, they could not really run the ball. I, I think it's more so that I can't recall like this, this game feels like an outlier to me because I can't recall another time where Nebraska started that way where it's just like a team comes down and scores Nebraska didn't even have the ball in Rutgers half of the field until late in the second quarter. Right. So it it was, it was one of those just situations where early in that game, it just felt like they are not in this. And the thing allowing them to stay around is that Rutgers isn't a particularly good football team, but I, I was scratching my brain as the game was going on, trying to think of like, when's the last time Nebraska played in this kind of game where they don't show up for a half, but still won. It. And I don't know that I have like an answer because they're one, they haven't won a lot of football games. Lately. No, they haven't. <laughs> when they have happened to win them, they've either been shootouts or they've been the kind of like back and forth sort of affairs and they come out on top. Um, but this, this was, I, I honestly, I cannot, I think you have to go back to kind of the Polini era where they've, they, they sort of had to pull themselves out like this. So I, I think that in itself is a testament to how gritty and how uh, determined they were to kind of find a way on a day where things just weren't working early
1: it, on. You know, it's funny, she, if you mentioned that because, and again, I don't want to compare this team to any of the great teams of years gone by, but it <laughs> kind of reminded me of when I was a kid and Nebraska would play a Kansas and, mm-hmm. and like once every 10 years, Kansas would put a scare into them. And, and it was one of those where, the, you know, Nebraska was fumbling too much or, you know, too many penalties or they were, you were shooting themselves in the foot. And, and that's kind of how it felt. It, 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 you know, you watch Rutgers, and, and it's not to take anything away from Rutgers. I think, you know, they are who they are. Um, they are a physical team. Um, I think they are well coached. I just don't think they're overly talented. And when I watch that game, I'm, I'm thinking, well, Nebraska still has more talent. Now, the problem has been over the last five, eight years, 10 years, however many, that Nebraska has been the more talented team on, on a lot of occasions, and they still find ways to lose the game. Um, but, you know, as you watched it, you're like, okay, if they just if they just stay within themselves, they're going to be able to, you know, stabilize and and just if they can stay in it, somebody might be able to make a play. And honestly, I thought the defense would make a play. And sure enough, you get the interception early in the fourth quarter. And, and that was the spark that, you know, that, um, that, that led to the game winning touchdown. It, it was, it was so, uh, this is why it's, it's, it's encouraging to me. And I don't want to make it sound like Rutgers is this great accomplishment because Nebraska can't play this way against Purdue. Sure. Illinois, Michigan, Iowa, you know, the rest of the teams on the schedule and expect to win. And I think Mickey Joseph knows that. I think everybody in that program knows it. But to be able to do just enough to to win a game like this, I mean, they rush for two and a half yards a carry. You know, they average less than, than five yards a play. I did some numbers on it, Shafe, and because I, you know, I keep track of all this stuff. Um, you know, Nebraska, Nebraska's only had five other streaks since 2004 where they've gone at least three straight games going under five yards of play. And this is one of them. But the difference is all of those other times where Nebraska had streaks of three or four or five games in a row where they were under five yards of play, they had losing records with the exception of 2005, that 2005 team, you know, we all remember very, uh, you know, offensively challenged uh, (laughs) Bill Callahan's second year, but but all the others, you know, Nebraska's, you know, one and two or, you know, two and two. You know, Nebraska's one two out of their last three doing exactly that. So they're winning. They're learning how to win some of these ugly games. And and that, that to me is a sign of growth. Now the question is, you know, can they at least build on something like this? Because, again, I don't think performances like this are going to be able to beat any of the other teams left on the schedule unless they pull a bad game out of their hat. And, you know, maybe that's possible, but uh, I wouldn't bank on it. What did you take away from
0: Casey Thompson on Friday? I mean, it was it was almost a classic sort of performance in some ways where you look up at the end of the numbers. He only had 12 incompletions. He had the two interceptions yeah. and he absolutely had to hang in until the last second on so many throws. I mean, uh, severe on, on his show on Sunday. I was a guest and he basically I didn't know this. He was pressured on 20 of his 36 dropbacks, 20 pressures. Like that is an insane stat. He was hit, I think, on 12 occasions on uh, on Friday night. Like so, we're we're talking about a guy that like it's. He had two touchdowns to two interceptions. His numbers don't look eye popping by any means, but I really feel like he has given Nebraska such a lift with his willingness to just kind of keep hanging in there and just sort of surviving. Kind of like this team right now is just hanging in there and just kind of surviving. I mean, it was not it was not a great game. It wasn't like one that I think people are going to remember uh, for Casey Thompson and his career in Nebraska. But I just, there's so many images in my head of like, he's, you know, he's staying in there until the very last second to get those throws out and, you know, dumping them off to Anthony Grant or getting them out to Travis Boekelec. Or that touchdown pass to to Trey Palmer. I mean, he threw that and there was really, he, he threw it deep into the end zone. There was really nowhere else for that ball to go. And he, he did it in a way in which there's a defender right in his face as he's making that throw.
1: Well, I mean, it seemed like right after the snap, there's three, four, five black, yeah. you know, jerseys in the backfield on every play. So that twenty of you know thirty-six, it, it seems, it almost seems low to me because it, you know it, it felt like it was every yeah. single play. But yes, his ability to stand in there and remember, Rutgers only had one sack. That, right. So, the, so the whole game with all that pressure, and they only get to him once, and I think that was, I think that was in the fourth quarter, or it was in the second half. Yep. And, and you know, I don't know if we give him enough credit for his, his mobility. You know, all the talk before the season was, you know, well, he's not going to be Adrian. You know, he's not going to run the ball. Uh, this is going to be a drop back, you know, throwing game. But we didn't give him enough credit for the ability for him to, you know, escape the pocket, you know, keep his feet, set his eyes, you know, not lose track of his receivers. So to go 24 of 37 um, with all of that pressure, uh, and and I give credit to you know to, to Mark Whipple for you know having some design in the offense where you know we saw the backs used in the passing game quite a bit. Now a lot of it was you know uh, quick dump offs because you had no other choice. But Nebraska needed to find other targets out there because Trey, Trey Palmer up until the, the, the fourth quarter was almost a non factor. Yep. Uh, and, and 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 a lot of teams are going to do that, and they're going to continue to do that. So, to the ability to find other targets and find other threats in this offense, you know whether it's on those dump offs or those shallow or shallow crossing routes, is gonna is gonna be huge uh, for this squad. But yeah, Casey, you know, I think it's probably by the end of this season, it's gonna be an overused phrase. But this whole uh, the concept of this of toughness, you know, and, and where that comes from. Um, I think, I think he was kind of thrown into the fire last year at Texas and, you know, he was pressured a lot at Texas cause they didn't have a great offensive line right. last year. And now they've been able to, to build off of that. It just makes you wonder, it makes you, you know, dream of, wow, could they, if they could actually give him a clean pocket, you know, for, for most of the game, how dangerous he could be, but he has gotten so good at, you know, throwing on the run and, you know, having to escape the pressure, uh, it, it's. It's impressive. Now, the bigger concern to me is: is he going to be able to survive the hits? I mean, he took the one uh, the other night where I thought, "Oh God, this could be it." Um, yeah, I you agree. Just, you hope, you hope, you know, against hope that he's going to be able to, you know, to survive the rest of the season. Um, because I, and in, in nothing against Chuba, but we just haven't seen enough of him. I think the drop off between number one and number two is is pretty steep. I and agree. At this point, Casey. I I, want to almost say Trey Palmer, but to me, Casey's the most indispensable guy on that offense right now.
0: Yeah, because you just don't – you don't know what they could even run. Yeah, it's almost to the point – and this is bad because we haven't seen enough of Chubba to really say this. It's almost to the point where I would feel more comfortable putting Logan Smothers in and just have a throw at the kitchen sink at him type offense. Right. Because you don't have a whole lot else that you can rely on. I – Let me ask you this: So Trey Palmer, far and away Nebraska's best wide receiver, who's Nebraska's second best pass catcher right now? Do they have one? I mean, because you know Marcus Washington had several important catches. He had several what I thought were catches that were called back um, through the uh, the joys of you know.
1: Yeah, and and yeah, don't even get me started on that review because that was ridiculous.
0: (laughs) I, we're college football is definitely headed to the NFL territory of what is a catch and what
1: is not a catch. Well, and, and if and if you, if anyone out there watched the Kansas game yesterday,
0: right. I tweeted about this, the same <laughs> thing, that touchdown. It's I don't just get like,
1: it. it. There was like, there was like a series where there was like three of those on consecutive series where it's like, well, is that, it looks like maybe that's a catch. And that's a, not a catch. And yet, you know, if they had a different angle and I don't think they did, I don't think they, they had either. a different angle, you know, in replay that we didn't have on television, because there was no evidence whatsoever that you could see the ball. Yes, your mind, if you could, you know, piece it together, you could perhaps induce by body language that the ball came out, but that's circumstantial evidence. That's not actual evidence. There was no evidence there, right? Uh, and so it, it it totally baffled me. But to answer, go back to to the question. I think. I think it is Marcus, um, you know, because of the chemistry that he had previously Mm -hmm. with Casey Thompson. But it's, you know, he had four catches. So that's been one of his better games uh, that he has had this year. Uh, But yeah, you know, Oliver Martin, you know, he did have the touchdown last week. uh, But Elante Brown has been quiet. Uh, I, I don't think any of us anymore are expecting much out of Omar Manning. Um, yep. So I think it's almost by I think default he's like
0: crutches at the end of uh, the game. Yeah, Friday. I think you're
1: right. Uh, but Marcus, I think Marcus is probably number two. But again, that goes back to something you know, I talked about earlier. I think they need to have that those other targets out there because eventually you're going to run into the Illinois secondary, the Iowa secondary. They're going to try. They're going to they're going to take away Palmer and make everybody else, you know, beat you. And yep. if that's the case, you know, you've got to find those other options. And um, and, and it was good to see Volkolek, you know, finally get going again, you know, six catches. Because he only had two since coming back from injury. But, um, yeah, I think your answer is Marcus Washington. But we, you need to see a little bit more uh, to feel good about that answer.
0: Yeah, it well, it almost feels like it's been a different receiver every week. Like you had yeah. Isaiah Garcia Castaneda the first week. And then kind of those middle weeks where... I don't even know who would have been beyond Trey Palmer. I mean, the, the passing game was sort of out of sorts uh, in, in parts of those. And then, you know, you had Oliver Martin, you've had Marcus Washington. Now Travis Vokolek had a really good first game. He had a really good game uh, on Friday. I hope that he is healthy. Cause that hit he took at the very end, um, you know, it, it seemed the way he reacted. It seemed pretty bad. Uh, so we're, yeah. it, they seem like a very banged up team right now. The, I would imagine if, they had their wishes they would like this bye week to come right now, yeah, versus after the Purdue game, but that's uh unfortunately you can't change the schedule as the season's going along. That'd be quite the the loophole if you
1: could do that. Like, <laughs> yeah, hey, we're gonna first... push this back. <laughs> it's, it's like playing your uh playing your 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 ace. Yeah, okay, we're gonna use our buy right here. You get one schedule
0: switch a year, <laughs> and you use it to move the Purdue game, the Purdue game. Uh, so
1: we're going to make our switch here. Oh, and by the way, we want to play Indiana for a second time. We don't want to play. Purdue.
0: <laughs> Do you with, with Nebraska's defense? I, I've been making this case for the last week or so, and I, I don't want it to sound like I'm trying to take anything away from Bill Bush, because I think he's done a very good job. But a lot of it to me is they just have guys that are playing to the level that you expect them to play at. And I thought we saw it again with Garrett Nelson, who maybe had his best game of the season uh, coming off of what had been his best game of the season against Indiana. He had 11 tackles, um, two tackles for a loss, one and a half sacks, uh, just seemed to be playing kind of what you expect from Garrett Nelson, like hair on fire football. Did we maybe, and this is specifically with Garrett Nelson, did we underestimate the difficulty of switching to that down defensive lineman position for him? from the outside linebacker spot, because it felt like it's, it's kind of taken about four weeks for him to sort of
1: unearth this ability or four games. No, I think that's a great point, Shafe, because, you know, we, we just assume, Hey, just pin your ears back, rush the quarterback. But, you know, when you're doing it from a two point position versus a three point position, it can be different. Also, you know, you might be, you know, there might be folks swinging extra defenders over to, you know, chip you or, and, and those are things you have to get used to uh so i i think i think there's a good point to that that you know garrett is is finally coming to his own and what what to me is as encouraging as anything i had my doubts if after the coaching change if garrett nelson was going to be as effective you know just based on you know some Mm -hmm. of the set some of the things he had said and it seemed like he and frost were you know kind of um you know joined at the hip in a way um you know we know he was frost one of frost's very favorite players and i want I wondered, you know if if mentally he was going to be okay, but you know, he came out in the Oklahoma game, and granted, no one played well in the Oklahoma game. But since then, he's responded beautifully. Um mm-hmm. and I think you're right. I think he's put together his his two best games back to back. And you know, as much as we wondered aloud about, my God, you know, why can't Nebraska, you know, keep Rutgers out of their backfield? I thought Nebraska did a really good job of putting pressure on Rutgers, you know, in those situations where they needed it. Sure, they comp- completed some long passes, but, you know, at the end of the day, what were they like? Something like, uh, yeah, 12 out of 30. I mean, yep. it was pretty much. You're going to take you know, that every time. Yeah, their their offense was pretty much, hey, let's just throw one up deep yep. and see what happens. And, and that's where they got, you know, the lion's share of, of their big yards on those completions. But, you know, defensively, especially with some of the personnel changes, obviously, Hartsog getting picked on early, which we expected to see. Um, that's another situation where if you face a better team, and right now, you know, Michigan will, will, will give them problems. I'm not sure about Minnesota right now, you know, based on the fact that they don't have Ottman Bell. But there's not a lot of great offenses or right. passing offenses left. So I think this will kind of help Malcolm Hartsog um, you know, continue to get his his feet wet, but uh, you know, I agree with you. A lot of credit's going to go to Bill Bush, and it makes sense because the changes, you know, the, the the improvement has happened there. But some of it too has just been getting these guys to relax and to kind of yeah. settle into their their new roles, and and it's starting it's starting to work. And you know, it goes back to what Bush said: it's about getting in proper alignment. You know, I I bet if we go back and turn on the film from the first three games, you know, you'll see a lot of the busted plays where, well, you know, this guy's shading in the wrong spot or, you know, this person's out of position over here. They're winning half the battle. Now it's just a matter of, okay, are they more talented than us or can their guy, their playmaker make a play better than our defender can defend him versus, hey, this dude's out of position. So just getting that down, I think, has been critical. And, in all of this success and we'll see it where it goes from here, but it's been a, it's been a a pleasure to watch because I thought this defense had some potential uh, coming into the season to, to, to show this. I wasn't expecting them to be world beaters and, and they still don't get to the quarterback maybe as much as we thought, but they did end up with three sacks the other night. So that, that, that is definitely a start.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, What's the biggest weakness for this team? Right now, half the season's over. They're three and three. They got half the season left. Where are you
1: most concerned
0: about Nebraska
1: in these final six games? Well, I mean, we—it's going to start and end with the offensive line. Mm-hmm. I mean, just being able to hold up, you know, against uh, against a Purdue, against an Illinois, you know, against an Iowa—that's going to be a real dog fight So that that that's definitely one. But then the other thing would be injuries. You know, and, and you mentioned it earlier. Feels you know, like this, they're getting a little thin. It does. It does. Obviously, they're they're thinning on the offensive line. We we wondered aloud about Casey. We hope he can hold up. Vocalek. Now, maybe they get um, Thomas Fedoni back. I, my guess is, if, if Fedoni, Fedoni would probably be back for Illinois. You know, you give him the you give him the extra week with the bye. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, it'd be nice if they could have him back earlier. But my guess would be Illinois. Uh, the running back room. Uh, you know, Grant. Grant's been you know taking his fair share of blows but then he's been dishing out his fair share of blows I was almost half expecting a flag to come out for targeting on that I did not realize
0: he had stepped out of bounds before that happened which I'm guessing is what the Rutgers player had saw because he had slowed up in a way that you almost never see on a football field right So in my head I was already putting most of the onus on him for what had happened and Grant's foot did go out of bounds and then that is one of the nastiest Ugh. like running back to defender blows I have ever seen.
1: In this day and age of football where those types of hits draw a flag, that's about the 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 cleanest, because it was it's not a penalty, but yeah. it's like one of the cleanest, hardest hits you can see in this in this modern era of football. And you know, you watch the way he's been able to lay some guys out on on lead blocks. Um you know, but, but, you know, the in going back to kind of finishing up the thought, you know, the injuries, I think is my, my number two concern, because there are some, there are some key spots and we saw it earlier this year with, with middle linebacker, where there's just not a lot of great depth that's been developed behind it, where you lose one guy and it can totally throw, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, the performance of that position group, you know, to the wind. So. Those would be my two things offensive line and, and just trying to stay healthy.
0: I I feel like we we gotta bring this up and, and this is gonna be the really kind of the topic of conversation, I suspect, all week leading into this Purdue game. How do you feel like Mickey Joseph has done through three games? Obviously, Nebraska's two and one. The the biggest plus I think in his favor, in my mind, of what I've seen, it feels like this coaching staff has done a better job in the last two weeks than they did in the previous five years at making adjustments in games. Like it, it, you know, specifically on offense, they figured out maybe a little bit too late, but they figured out, okay, late releases, tight ends, running backs, we're going to hit these guys and we're going to get easy yards. And once they did that, the game flipped in the second half. And then they found the crossers and then Rutgers starts sucking up and they hit that perfect 27 yard over the top pass for the touchdown. On defense, Bill Bush has been making adjustments, it feels like, the last couple of weeks. And they've tightened things up after they've had some struggles. I I think in in my own sphere, in just reading the comments online, people are the, – the excitement for Mickey Joseph has really exploded. So I, I'm curious where you sort of see things at. Because obviously, we're only three games in. There's still six more to go. A lot still is going to be written on this season and said and everything else. But the fervor for Mickey Joseph is, do you think this might be the fever pitch of it? Could it, or if they win next week, are we really going to get it? I the think, bye yeah.
1: Week? yeah, I think so. if they win next week, because then you get the bye week, so it's two weeks of it, right? Yep. And And meanwhile, and I know people like to overreact to every single result, you know, all of a sudden, Matt Campbell, he's off everyone's list because they've lost three straight and... You know, this coach isn't one loss, so he's off. And it's, it's funny. It's kind of funny to watch, you know, the, the reaction in the moment where, you know, when you're hiring a head coach, you're looking at the big picture. You're not looking at a week to week to week result, but you know, with Mickey, I think the, the, the number one thing that he has done is, and I'll give, I'll give our, our, our friend Connor Happer credit. Cause I heard him talk about this on Friday night, but you know, in the past, really for the better part of the last four years, certainly for the last two, two and a half years, every single game we've we've taken Nebraska to the psychiatrist couch mm-hmm. because it's it, you know, it's it's all about where their headspace is and can this team bounce back from this? How does the team react to this? And these last three weeks have now shifted that focus where now we can talk about things like offensive line the depth you know who's behind who you know adjustments x's and o's we're now instead of after every game going to the psychiatrist's couch we're going to the doctor's office <laughs> to 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 figure out hey what's physically what physically do we need to do and i think that's the biggest thing that that mickey has done for this team is he's finally gotten them away from you know, having to examine their headspace to all right, how do we examine how do we get better here? How do we get better here in terms of the actual playing of the game versus the mental side? I've long said that the biggest issue with frost teams were it was mental. It was a mental thing. It was more a mental thing than a physical thing. And and what Mickey and 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 this group have done is kind of, you know, just they've they freed these guys up to go out and play ball. Instead of worrying about, you know, this excuse or this narrative or you know whether or not a, a coach feels bad because he can't call plays anymore, all that garbage is is away. Now it's about how how do I how do I go out and beat the guy across from me? How do I go out and make a play to help my teammates? And that is that is so refreshing. I mean, it's 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 normal. Most teams are like this. It's so normal. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing. That Mickey has accomplished through three weeks. Now it's going to be put to the test, obviously, because this, I mean, this is the best part of the schedule. We all thought first six games, say for Oklahoma, manageable, very manageable. It was the back half that was going to be the challenge. The back half, even though this division isn't great, it's it's probably worse than we thought going into the season, it's still going to be the greater challenge. But I like the base that they've kind of established for themselves because now they're no longer, you know, in each other's heads. Now they can just go out and and play football.
0: What's your? This is the the last thing for us here. And John, I really appreciate your time this morning. Bet. What what's your level of surprise coming off of that Oklahoma game that we're at this point right now? Nebraska's three and three. Because for me, it's pretty high. Because that looked like a, I I thought that Oklahoma game. And look, Oklahoma, ooh, they. <laughs> Can, these the, teams win. can we, these teams can we win play the wild card? Yeah.
1: Can we play the wild card and play them <laughs> again? Because <Yeah>. I, <laughs> I think Nebraska wins that game. That I'm with a, you. Uh,
0: they're like, these two teams like switch bodies at the end oh. of that game or something. I don't know. But um, I, after that, I walked away from it sort of just thinking, like, I don't know if these guys have the, the ability to pick themselves up off the map because they look so thoroughly defeated, and you're doing it with an interim coach who's in his first ever run of being the guy in the big chair. And I I cannot say enough good things about, regardless of what happens with Mickey in this head coaching job and its its permanent uh, status, what he has done to just get this team to pick itself back up, almost regardless how the rest of the season goes, I think it's a pretty admirable job. And I am very surprised we're talking
1: about a 3-3 three and three team right now. I am. I, I am. I, I thought that I thought they would they had a shot maybe at getting one of these two. But I mean, in the yeah. immediacy and I thought they split them. Yep. Yeah. But but in the immediacy of the Oklahoma loss, I, I wondered aloud. You know, I think we all did. You know, we all kind of looked back at the Indiana game before that game was played and said, well, this could be the difference between, you know, winning three or four games and going one in eleven. And and it may turn out, you know, in hindsight that we'll look back and go, yeah, I don't, I wonder why we were thinking that way. But in the moment, that's what it felt like because we didn't know if this team was going to splinter. I thought it was a, it, it, I don't know if it was talked about enough, Shafe, that the silence, the radio silence, the day that Frost was was fired, and you know, we only heard from O'Shawn, right, um, and that was it. We didn't hear from anybody else, and I think part of that was calculated. Uh, but I think the other part was telling, you know, that that this team really wanted to, you know,
0: they, wanted, they wanted to
1: make. Yeah, they wanted to keep it in house, but they wanted to make something mm-hmm. of this. Um, and 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 I think we need to give some credit, too. I know Mickey and, and, and Bill Bush and, you know, how the coaches have responded have been admirable. But I think most of the credit goes to the players. They could have checked out in many other circumstances. I mean, we could have heard, we could have heard of transfers. We could have heard of people leaving, and yet we haven't heard a peep about any of that. Now, in this day and age of college football, you know, we're going to have transfers. We're always mm-hmm. going to have transfers, but this thing could have really fractured, and it didn't. Um, so I am I am surprised. We're talking about you know Nebraska, Illinois, and Purdue being tied at the top of the division at two and one. Is it going to end that way? Probably not, but they've given themselves a fighting chance and they've at least put themselves in the conversation of a very flawed division. And that is a very noteworthy achievement. This will be a huge challenge this week at Purdue, a place where Nebraska has never really played well anyway. Mm-hmm. This will be a unique challenge, but you know, going back to what you had mentioned earlier, if they somehow find a way to win at West Lafayette, the next two weeks, they 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 may have to you know pull out the big red express and take Mickey Joseph around the state because people are going to be wanting to hold parades for him from here to Broken Bow to 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 Shadwin. Uh,
0: Get him out to Mitchell, <laughs> Mickey and Mitchell, Mickey and Mitchell. That's uh, that's what the people want. John, appreciate your time here this morning. Great conversation. Uh, everyone can hear you weekday afternoons from two to six. With your uh, your partner Josh Peterson, who's off running somewhere right now, because that's just what he does. I, I believe he's
1: actually in his marathon right at this point. He is. I, he I haven't I haven't looked at his bib or anything like that, his bib number yet. But uh, yep. he he should be he should be within you know a few minutes of finishing. So uh, yeah, he'll be yep. back a, on Wednesday.
0: I'll I'll be sure to to make sure that I send him a link so he can listen to this because I know that's what he's going to want to do immediately upon finishing. The race. So
1: well, I mean if he didn't download enough podcasts, because that's all he listens to when he runs, he, he might he might want to download this one for the last you know 35 minutes. I, I,
0: how do you feel about his 1.3 speed or whatever it is? Is it like 1.5, <laughs> 2.0? I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like the it sounds like the adults in Charlie Brown to me when it gets sped up. So
1: well that's why I, I that's why we don't have uh Stuart Mandel on the program as much anymore is because Josh would get confused hearing him at normal speed versus ah. speed Versus versus one-and-a-half-time speed, he'd be like, who is this guy? I don't know him.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, appreciate it, John. Everybody else, be sure to check out everything we got going on at Husker247.com. Plenty of coverage from the Rutgers game, Brunson, BC. We're out there, so we have plenty of coverage from that. We're going to have more here on Sunday. We'll have some recruiting stuff going. And then it is into Purdue week, and we will have coverage throughout the week on that. We'll be back with more podcasts on Tuesday, and then the Husker Hypecast on Tuesday. Thursday. So be sure to check out all of that. For John Bishop, I am Mike Schaefer. We'll catch you next time.